You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com. Hi, this is Gary Cohn. Welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit and philanthropic world. Thank you for joining us. Our podcasts have focused on major gift fundraising, foundations, nonprofit institutions, and financial services. Today, we turn our attention to direct program services. Our guest today is Leslie Bacho, CEO of the Second Harvest Food Bank of Silicon Valley. Leslie joined the food bank in 2017 after spending 19 years at the San Francisco Food Bank. She started her career as a brand manager at Clorox. Leslie has an undergraduate degree from Duke University, Go Blue Devils, and an MBA from the Kellogg School of Northwestern University. She lives in San Francisco with her husband and two children. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you, Gary. Great to be here. And I want to be uh, honest with my audience. I want to say that I was on the board of directors of the SF Food Bank for a number of years, probably close to seven years when Leslie was the chief operating officer there. So we got to know each other pretty well. That's and right. Glad, glad to see you've moved on on your own as a CEO. Thank you. Can you share with us your path from the corporate MBA world of Clorox to your work in the nonprofit sector? Sure. Well, out of um, undergrad, I worked for a few different nonprofits and pretty quickly, I realized what I was really interested in doing was running a nonprofit. And as I started to explore what sort of degree I should get or experience I should get to help me do that, I decided to pursue an MBA because I everybody I talked to said, well, you really need the same skills to run a nonprofit as a for-profit. So I went to business school at Northwestern. And as soon as I got there, I realized you only learn so much in business school. And probably what I really needed was to get some good general management training at a company like Clorox. So that's how I ended up at Clorox and always with the intention of going back to nonprofit. After I'd been there for about four years, I decided to explore going back to nonprofits. And honestly, if I could have described when I went to Kellogg, the sort of nonprofit I ultimately was interested in, the food bank fit that bill perfectly because I wanted something that was really meeting a basic need that was positioned to really be able to do that at scale. And I loved that the food bank had this really interesting business challenge of how do we source and collect all of this food and get it back out into the community. So I was thrilled when the opportunity came up at the San Francisco Food Bank. Were there any other areas of nonprofit you considered besides the food banking world? Well, to be honest, it just worked out perfectly because I had a mutual friend who I reached out to who was at the food bank just as I was starting to explore this as a possibility. And she was relocating to the East Coast. So pretty quickly, I got connected with the CEO there. And he was really looking for someone who could help grow the organization. The organization had just moved into a larger facility and was really looking to scale. So it was kind of a perfect fit for what I was looking for. And that also shows us that, you know, having good friends in good places and networking with good people always helps you in opportunities. That is absolutely right. What excites you about the work that you're doing? Oh, well, what I love about the food bank is, you know, one, I'm just absolutely committed to the mission. I believe that food is a basic human right. And certainly 
in this country where we have so much available food and resources, there's no reason anyone should go hungry. It's just critical for all that we do. And what I love about food banking is that we engage so many people in doing this work with us. It is truly a very collaborative system of support. I mean, we have over 300 nonprofit partners. We have tens of thousands of volunteers. We have tens of thousands of donors. We have so many people coming together to make this work happen and in a very tangible. And so that really drew me to food banking and keeps me excited about what we're doing. Great. Tell us a little bit about your current position at Second Harvest Food Bank. What does Second Harvest do? Are you part of the Second Harvest Network? How does that all work? Sure. So we are Second Harvest of Silicon Valley. We serve Santa Clara and San Mateo counties. We, pre-pandemic, we were providing food to about a quarter million people every month. That has literally doubled during the pandemic to over a half million people. And we do this work through partners. As I mentioned before, we have over 300 nonprofit partners, and those range from soup kitchens to after-school programs to shelters. If you are a nonprofit serving a low-income population and providing food, you can be a member of the food bank, and we provide all the food for free to our nonprofit partners. Still, the majority of our food really goes out as groceries in just-in-time grocery distributions. And we have lots of partnerships with schools, with housing complexes, with folks like the Boys and Girls Club. You know, we're always trying to get the food to where people are already going. And pre-pandemic, that looked like these just-in-time farmers markets where people just walked up and selected what they wanted. That, is, of course, has been a big challenge in the pandemic. We've had to completely rule retool how we do this work. And we now have over 130 drive-through distributions. Pre-pandemic, we had three. So we really made this shift to pre-boxing the food and getting it out to these drive-throughs where you might serve, you know, a thousand families at a time. We've all seen the, the long lines of cars waiting at food banks all across the nation. Uh, is that the only major impact of COVID-19 or there are other impacts? <laughs> Well, as I mentioned, it's not just, um, certainly there's the impact of just the need doubling, but also having to really change how we do things has been significant. At a time when in the beginning, especially, it was very hard to get volunteers. We have so many corporate volunteers. And as soon as shelter in place went into effect, of course, our corporate volunteer groups had to cancel. Fortunately, we were able to bring in the National Guard who is still here with us. And we have another group, the San Jose Conservation Corps, that's a job training program where we have 100 uh, young people helping us every day. But we've also really had to build back up our volunteer force. Um, that's certainly been a challenge. And we're so grateful for all of the volunteers that have continued to show up at our facilities and out at our distribution sites. Another big change has been, um, we started getting so many calls from seniors who didn't have someone who could pick up food for them. And of course, we're concerned about their safety. And so we started doing home delivery. So now we deliver food to over 5,000 households every month. So that is, that's been another big change. Yeah, that is a major change in the way you operate. When it comes to your volunteers, how many volunteers do you have on like a monthly basis that work with you? We tend to measure in terms of volunteer hours rather than individuals. But, um, you know, here at our warehouse, for example, you know, we can take 
well, during COVID, we have to be a little more careful about the number of people that we take, but we might have 75 volunteers a shift and we're open Monday through Friday and in the evenings and on Saturdays for volunteers. But we also have volunteers at many of our distribution sites. And so if you go to our website, you can see how you can plug in to volunteer at a distribution or to volunteer in our facilities because we are extremely dependent on volunteers for all we do. Well, I remember my starting my life in the food bank world. But before I was a board member, I was a volunteer myself. And I remember bringing my daughter, who then was about eight or nine years old, down to the food bank, uh, San Francisco Food Bank warehouse. And we went and, and our job that morning was to separate kiwi. And my daughter, oh. I mean, I've never seen so many kiwi, dad. How, there's so <laughs> many of these. I'm going, well, not all of them are good. We're going to separate the good from the bad. <laughs> but, uh, One of my favorite kiwi stories is, you know, we serve a very diverse population and a lot of what we do is nutrition education. When I was at the SF Marin Food Bank, my, my church in San Francisco has a pantry where I also would volunteer with my kids. And at that pantry, I, we would serve a lot of Russian clients as well as Asian clients. And when we had a lot of Kiwis, I remember the following week, one of the Russian clients coming back and saying, you know, where can I get more of those green potatoes? <laughs> because I wasn't as familiar with a Kiwi, whereas for our Asian clients, they were thrilled to see so many Kiwis. So we do a lot of, we do a lot of nutrition education as well. There's a lot of challenges in America where a lot of people don't believe that, you know, food stamps and food programs and are important. And how do you uh, deal with that issue in advocacy and versus, you know, just getting education and information? out to the general public. Right. I have to say one thing about this pandemic is that so many more people understand how real food security is, insecurity is in this country. And I know in our own community, I've heard from so many donors, even donors who were supporting us before, but now are just shocked to see these long lines, you know, right in their own community. And thank you for bringing up what used to be called food stamps is now called SNAP nationally and CalFresh here in California, because that is really the best way for people to get food assistance. What's the challenge with SNAP is that it is the benefit level is very low, especially for high cost areas like the Bay Area. The amount of benefit tends to be very inadequate and you have to be very low income to be eligible. We are continually working to try to get that benefit level increased and try to reduce the barriers to eligibility. And another kind of silver lining of the pandemic is that there have been a lot of improvements made to help people get food stamps more easily and also to increase the benefit level. And that's something we're going to continue to advocate for is to have, you know, make a lot of those improvements permanent. And how do you interact with other food banks in the community and across the nation? Something I love about food banking is that we are part of this very strong network. We are part of Feeding America as our national organization. And then here in the Bay Area, we have, there's five of us right here in the Bay Area who collaborate very closely together. And something that's been challenging about this pandemic is that usually when there's a disaster, you know, we all kick into high gear to help one another. But we are all kind of experiencing this disaster simultaneously, which has definitely been a challenge. You know, typically when there are, you know, hurricanes in the South, for example, I've often sent staff members to help out. Sometimes we will send equipment. Um, usually that might be too far a distance to send food, but like here in the Bay Area, when we've experienced fires, we've certainly shared both food and staff and um, other resources to help each other out. 
during this pandemic, it's been great to have a support system of just sharing ideas and, um, you know, kind of supporting one another throughout. Let's turn a little bit to food supply chains. I know that acquiring food is not the easiest thing in the world for the food banks to do. How do you go about doing that? And how do you work with providers or grocery chains and things of that nature? Well, certainly that's been a challenge during this pandemic. I mean, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, very immediately we were seeing first a 50% increase and then a 100% increase in people coming to our sites. And so we were trying to procure twice as much food at a time when there was, you know, just lots a supply chain disruption. And just like you might remember how it was really hard to get at your local grocery store, certain staple items like canned goods and rice and pasta, you know, the food bank was having the same challenges getting that product. So we just try to be very creative in our sourcing for the food that we do purchase. And you know, pre-pandemic, about 22% of our food we purchased during the pandemic, sometimes it's been as high as almost 40%, again, just to keep up with the demand. And then we're fortunate to be here in California where we have access to so much fresh produce. Through our state association and a program called Farm to Family, we're able to get that produce donated to us and we just pay kind of a slight handling fee and the transportation to get it to us. And that is almost half of our food is fresh produce through that program. Then we also get commodities from the US Department of Agriculture and we have seen a big increase in those during the pandemic, which has been extremely helpful because those are really high quality, high cost items that are then given to us through the federal government. We also have retailers that we pick up from you know, every day and folks like you know, Amazon Fresh who, and Costco that donate that food at a pretty large scale. And then we also get some donations from manufacturers and through our national organization, Feeding America. Let's turn to the fundraising side of things, because obviously bringing money in to support the operations is very, very important. You have a lot of donors, you said earlier. Do you, is your fundraising mostly grassroots fundraising versus major gifts or corporate donations? How does that pan out in your area? Well, the majority of our donations are from individuals. So typically only about 5% of our funding comes from the government. During these pandemic times, that will probably get closer to 10%, just as there's been more CARES money available. And then um, the rest of it is private fundraising with almost two thirds coming from individuals. And that ranges from, you know, very large, significant donors to literally tens of thousands of donors who give to us many on a monthly basis, some giving us donations of $20. You know, it, it really is a wide range of donors. So a lot of it is kind of more grassroots fundraising. And then we're also fortunate to be in this community where we have the support of some very significant philanthropists. We also do have strong corporate support and support from foundations in the area. How does the, in the fun, fundraising world, I know there's always talk about the young entrepreneurial success stories especially in Silicon Valley, are they involved in the food bank? Do they get excited about the kind of work you do? Yes, I would say that we are making more inroads with younger donors and certainly folks who are, you're right that there is a real entrepreneurial spirit here. So what's wonderful about being a nonprofit in this community is really feeling like we have the permission to experiment, to innovate, to try new things that folks are definitely interested and investing in new ideas. And there's a lot more tolerance for giving us permission to just test things out and try new things. Something that's been helpful during this pandemic is we've really been, we were already in the process of rolling out Salesforce and bringing all of our you know, stakeholders into Salesforce. 
And we were just in the process of bringing all our clients into that database. And that's been wonderful, not only because we're collecting better real-time information that allows us to better meet the need, but we can also much more easily text our clients and get quick feedback on how we're doing. And that's been really transformational for our organization. So over your career, you've had many relationships with board members, with uh, clients, with organizations, with donors. What is one of your favorite experiences that you've had over the years? During this pandemic, what's been remarkable to me is the number of people I have met who, even though this is such an incredibly challenging time, remain so optimistic and have such a spirit of gratitude. So I think about, you know, early on in the pandemic, meeting a woman who had lost her job at a coffee shop, you know, she described how vividly she remembered that night before shelter in place went into effect when she got a call basically saying her job didn't exist anymore. And then she told me how her husband, you know, a few weeks after that, he got laid off from his custodial job and just how much they were struggling. And yet most of our conversation was about how concerned she was about her neighbors and how she was taking you know, any extra food she had from the food distribution and sharing it with her neighbors and how she was really trying to encourage them to come out to the distribution. And so again, you know, when she had so many of her own worries, really concern um, for someone else. And I think about a volunteer I met at one of our distributions who was also a client and how he was um, you know, concerned about his peewee football team that he coached and really trying to encourage so many of those families to, to come and get help. And I think about other volunteers I've met who, you know, somebody would just move to the Bay Area and she was talking about how isolated she felt until she got connected with volunteering at our distribution. And now she had you know, this wonderful community she was so grateful for. And I'm thinking about how she's doing this backbreaking work for us every single week at this distribution. And yet she's thanking me profusely for the opportunity to really kind of engage and give back. So I guess that's what stands out for me during this pandemic. I've just been thinking about how challenging it is and how many heartbreaking stories I hear, but how people remain so hopeful and so, again, kind of full of gratitude and um, willingness to, to really do whatever they can to help. With all the divisiveness in the country over the last, I don't know, not four years, six years, eight years, whatever it's been, uh, there really are good people out there doing good things and, and people do want to good things for other people. And I think we forget about that. The news people seem to tell us stories about all the bad things and the Karens in the world that out there yelling at people, but really most people are doing good things for each other. And that's, that's a good thing to know. Uh, that is absolutely true. And that's what I love about this work is, you know, creating so many opportunities for people to plug in and do something really good at a time when, like you say, there's just so much bad news out there. When you're not working, what do you like to do? What's your life about? Well, luckily, my hobbies are very pandemic friendly and that I love hiking and being outdoors and backpacking. And my husband and I did manage to get one backpacking trip in this summer um, over a long weekend. Um, and we've been doing a lot of, you know, hikes in the Bay Area on the weekend. So that is how I really relax is getting outside. I think that's the thing I miss the most about being in LA these days is you still live right below the East Bay Regional Park System and the trails oh, up yeah. there. 
there's something about walking through the redwood trees and up and down paths that just is so enlightening and exciting and uh, re refreshing. As we get ready to close the interview and, and the session, let me ask you the final question is, what did I forget to ask you? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here. I appreciated that you touched on advocacy because that remains a really important part of our work and we're just thrilled to have a new administration. I think we'll be more friendly to the kind of policies that we'd like to see enacted. So. We're really excited about the year ahead. And just, I guess, you know, what's really on my mind right now is that even as people begin to go back to work, even as folks start to get vaccinated, we know that for the families and individuals we serve, it is going to take a long time to recover from this crisis. You know, this has been such a tremendous economic setback for so many, so many of our clients, you know, their rents will start to come due. There's going to be, you know, they've completely, you know, wiped out their savings. And we saw after 2008, just how long it takes for low-income people to recover from a financial crisis like that. We're just hoping that everyone will continue to consider just how hard this is for so many in our community and that we continue to need to be there to support them. That's great. Thank you for that. And if one of our listeners or all of our listeners want to connect with you and support the Second Harvest Food Bank of Silicon Valley, how do they go about doing that? The best thing is to go to our website and that's shfb.org. And there you can find out how to get connected with food. We have a food connection hotline. You can find resources on our website. You can also find out how to donate and how to volunteer. Thank you so much for joining us. I know all of my uh, audience will appreciate the information they've learned today about food bank and food banking in general. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for listening. We want to stay connected with you. Be sure to stay connected with our community by giving a like to our Facebook page and following our Instagram at PaintedRock underscore advisors. Our podcast is available on all of your favorite platforms. We'll see you at our next release. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.